Well, we may not be the CEO of YouTube anymore, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we uh, we felt the need to step down because uh, we didn't know what we were doing, but no one seemed to notice. <laughs> we were kind of winging it and uh, improvising, and all of a sudden, we just kind of found ourselves in charge of things. So we yep. made uh, a bunch of sweeping changes and really didn't gain any community trust, and then did weird half-assed backpedaling interviews, apologizing to the community, but not really saying sorry. So yeah, we're, we're here now uh, with arms wide open. Uh, yeah, telling you that we're, we're just, apologize. <laughs> we're going to take some time off, focus on our health and family, and then uh, yeah, retire on the billions we made from advertising revenue off always, of other people's hard work. Shit like that always reminds me of uh, you know Burniston, the sort of BBC Scottish comedy sketch show. Uh, vaguely, I don't think I watched it though. Uh, it it was very hit or miss. It was very kind of chewing the fat took off. It was amazing. Burniston followed up, and it was it was good, but it was very very hit or miss. One of the one of the good sketches that he did was the single issue candidate, <laughs> and he was like, "My my plan is to try and get rid of the traffic lights at a certain roundabout." And every sketch is like, "Okay, so I hear what you're saying. You're you're a uh, you want to have free school lunches. How far away is your school from this roundabout?" <laughs> and eventually, at the end of the sketch, he goes, "Well, I believe I've went as far as I can go." I have to resign as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. <laughs> I only started here as the only joined in to try and get rid of these fucking traffic lights. The definition of falling upwards. Yeah. <laughs> British politics. British politics in a nutshell. Not to get political, but we're fucked, mate. <laughs> yeah, we're screwed. I, I sent you a YouTube link ages ago. I sent a lot of crap your way, but I sent you a link to uh, Muse. We are fucking fucked. And if yeah. Muse are singing that, we might actually be fucking fucked. Like, it may not be a joke anymore. We may be actually yeah. in serious trouble. Yeah, I think uh, it, uh, it's no longer a, a joke that, you know, Broken Britain, I think Broken Britain might be a, might be something that we strive towards. <laughs> <laughs> One day, we aspire to be merely broken, rather yeah. than whatever the hell is going on now. Rather than on fire. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if people wonder why, you know, obesity is rising, why drinking problems are getting out of control... If uh, people are not really interested in pushing themselves and you know being as physically active as they used to be or seem stressed out all the time, you can point to some things in recent history. And it, it's a strange conversation you have to have with people that say, we are actually not okay right now in the UK. And it yeah. needs a little bit of work. And unfortunately, I don't trust anyone involved, I guess, to actually fix our problems these days. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, re- I reckon not to not to say I, I reckon we should solve it ourselves because that just incites some kind of revolution that I don't think anyone in the UK could be arsed with at this point. Yeah, I just reckon we need to be a bit we need to kind of make ourselves be arsed again because right now we're in this kind of state of just let him do it. No, the last time we had that, we got you know Boris Johnson and Liz Truss for Nigel about a week. Farage. N- Nigel Farage. Now we've got Rishi Sunak. You know, maybe yeah. we should be a bit more discerning. Maybe we should actually get bothered about all this shit. Yeah, it's definitely long overdue. And actually, one thing we could have mentioned at the start is uh, this is the first episode in a post Nicola Sturgeon world, I guess, in Scotland, because yep. our head or our first minister's first gone minister, as well. Yeah. So yeah, that one not that surprising. I, I mean, we we talked about this uh, off mic. Personally, I think it's for the better. Um, if you're pro the independence referendum, if you're pro like it's weird to say nationalism because nationalism is now tied up to so many. It's always been tied to so many bad things since you know 1939. But mm. I'd say 
like the Scottish nationalist identity is not based on any kind of race or group identity. It's based on we want away from England, leave us the fuck alone. Yeah. So I mean, as long as you're not English, Scottish nationalism poses no threat to you. <laughs> yeah. And even if you're English, you just go, Oh, just say your uncle was Scottish and we'll be fine with it. We won't we're not looking into it that deeply. We just want away from Westminster. Yeah, we just want you know, our money to be our money for a bit longer. Yeah. So I mean it's Head of the Scottish government left or is leaving. She's on the way. I think it's like March, mid March, yeah. late March, before the replacements announced because they have to have their own internal uh, leadership debates and whatever. And then we get a new first minister who'll do fuck all for a couple of years, then retire as yeah. well. So you know, probably. Although I will say that Nicola Sturgeon tried to do something, and no matter what she did, she just got you know <laughs> she just got dumped on. Yeah, when you're the the leader of a small like. Let's be honest, Scotland is a minority group within the United Kingdom, so if you don't get all the leeway you think you deserve, it's because you're a small fraction of the voting population. And yeah. I feel like the English press were very good at pointing to her and saying, look at this, Scottish rabbis are causing all these problems, and then just covered her relentlessly, knowing that the longer they filmed her, the more tape they'd have where she was either making a gaffe, contradicting herself, or just generally screwing up. And then that's just, you know, that is what it is. You know, the more footage of you out there, the more you're likely to be found saying something or doing something that's going to come back and bite you in the ass. And I feel like the English press realised that very quickly and just started recording everything and broadcasting everything to make you feel like Sturgeon was everywhere all at once. But that was one thing that came up with my family's discussions of what happens next was, hey, um, like, who who is actually there? Who do you know? Who can you point to in the Scottish government that is a good candidate to take over? Because Sturgeon has been everywhere for the last three to four years. And I can't name most of the other ministers in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, she's been, I think she's, what, three terms? She's 12 years or something? She was a uh, first minister? Um, I don't... Uh, I, this is where we find it's been actually only about four years and just time has been compressed for so long. Oh, you're actually a lot closer than I thought you were. How long was it? Ten years? Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, Scottish politician, serving as Scotland's first minister and leader of the Scottish National Party since 2014. No. Yeah. So I mean that's where Scotland is right now. Don't yeah. ask us too much about it because at this point we're, we're on the verge of tears and drinking. But I mean yeah. to be fair, it doesn't take much for that one. The um, yeah, that's yeah, that's where we're at right now in the UK. But hell, it, it could be worse somehow. <laughs> uh make make no mistake, if you're not in the UK, know what we're saying is the truth when we say it, it could always be worse. And Boris Johnson could come back and he could be I'm dumber than before. I was in a boating accident. Good news, the propeller hit me twice. <laughs> Good news, I found out I can run this country without a frontal lobe. Right, guys, this time I'm going to try and do it blind. <laughs> this time I will I will give all my directions into a voice modulator, and whatever the voice modulator translates my speech to will be what passes. And somehow he'd still have about 40% of the vote, regardless of what he ever did. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Well, I mean... In terms like these, Dom, what what offers you comfort so we can just drag ourselves away from the, the, the politics of the day? Because it, it'd be nice to have a conversation that wasn't about that these days. Yeah, I mean, what usually offers me comfort, because I'm going to, I'm going to, I feel like every time I talk about Critical Role, I'm either, you know, talking about how good the Legend of Vox Machina is, which, you know, you should all go and watch it, it's pretty damn good, or mm -hmm. I'm either saying something like, oh, Matt Mercer, Scottish accent, pisses me off or something. But <laughs> no, it's the fact that there was a five-hour episode uploaded recently. Episode 49? Yeah, 49. Episode five episode. 49 of season what, though? Season three. Right, okay. 
So yeah, season two was something like five hundred and fifty hours. Season one was you know about three hundred odd hours. Season three. It's looking likely it takes seed that because it was like I said, five hour episode today. Three hours of that was people on an airship planning random bollocks and then it was occasionally interspliced with little character moments that made it worth it. And then all the cool shit happened at the end. I'm like, no, they're on a s they're in an uh, an airship and they're entering some kind of magical storm. I want to see more of that, not five hours of oh, well, we should go and talk to this guy and get some items or we should go and talk to that guy and get some potions and I'm just sitting there. If my hair wasn't already grey, it would have went grey in that second. <laughs> but, I, what, what podcast app do you use for your stuff, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Spotify. But I don't watch uh, Critical Role on Spotify anymore because uh, the, I suppose one of the only upsides of being unemployed right now is that I get the time to just sit and watch this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I just sit and watch on YouTube. Because I, I would have been hammering that plus 30 second button because I use Podbean. I used to use them i used to listen to it on spotify and spotify have a speed up button yeah so i'd been t- sitting with that at three times speed just going okay yep 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 okay right. and there's a battle slot there <laughs> and that's not to say i don't dig critical role when it has this kind of slower character moment because when characters start talking it's the same in video games when characters slow down a bit and they start talking that's where you get some really cool parts of the game like yeah. in resident evil 2 remake having leon who's, you know, the kind of wet behind the ears, fresh uh, newbie cop, talk to the kind of very sly, very uh, much more intelligent Ada Wong. And then Leon's just kind of going, oh, you played me. And Ada's like, no, 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 you're too smart for that. And finally stands up for himself in that. But I love seeing shit like that. But in Critical Role, it kind of only really comes alive during those points. And those bits are kind of few and far between now. It's mostly just kind of, well, what do we do now? Let's figure this shit out. Yeah, it's it's more about... See, you're you're more into the character moments, whereas what you're hearing is the kind of the decision making of the gaming process, yeah. which is you know kind of boring. It's it's fun to be there in the moment with your friends working out how to solve the problem of killing a necromancer. But yeah, sitting there listening to it as an outside observer, please edit this a little bit for me, please. Just yeah. a little and half hour chunk taken out would save me a lot of time. Yeah, and and that that's that's my point. That's you know what. I, what I wanted to come to is I get that in a real D&D game a, a D&D game that you're actually playing part of the nuts and bolts of it is literally each person setting down their bag of tricks and just going well I have this 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 and this what can we do with that and it's like well I have that that this and this and they go oh well if we combine that we can do shit part of it part of any D&D game is the planning mm-hmm. you can't really get around that it's like trying to tie your shoelaces while they're not on your feet and still on the box it doesn't make sense if you're putting out a show every week and it's a bloated runtime already, and you then bloat it even further by leaving all this shit in. Are you really, you know, putting out the best experience that you can, or are you just saying, well, that's part of the experience, you know, saving yourself a lot of editing? Yeah. Although a part of me does commend them for releasing a five-hour episode when everyone's attention span is down to, like, seconds at this point. Yeah, and and that's the thing about it. Everyone's saying that's the best episode that they've seen in a while because it was slow. And what I like about this campaign, as opposed to campaign two, campaign two was literally just here's a sandbox, go and do you know whatever the fuck you want. Campaign one was very kind of linear because they'd already started the campaign off stream and let it build and build and build. And it got to the point where they just had to say, right, this is where the story is going to go. There's going to be a bit of railroading, but you can still do whatever you want in that situation. Campaign two was just kind of here you go, do what you want. And I didn't really like that. I didn't feel like there was a through storyline. But in yeah. campaign three, they've kind of tied in each character to a main overarching story, which I which I prefer a bit. But 
it's it's the trick of having a game that's supposed to be open-ended and an experience to be lived in for several months at a time versus producing a finished product that's entertaining someone stepping into it for an hour a week say and I, th- I think some people would lean heavily towards cut it up and chop it into pieces as quickly as possible and then just take out all the, the dead air the little spaces at the side and then others would be saying no no, no let's just enjoy the entire experience but i guess it's the i mean do you think there's an audience for um like a kai version where you just cut out all the fluff it, personally no I, I personally think that i am in the minority in this instance i think that all the hardcore i mean i'm, I'm a critical role fan a critical role fan although i'm very hesitant to call myself a critter because i don't like titles like but there are some hardcore... also sounds really dumb <laughs> Yeah, and there are some hardcore critical role fans will watch the same episode two or three times in the week and then what before the next episode comes out they watch it again actually there are hardcore motherfuckers out there that will want to see each one of these character moments for me when i play DD, when i play a uh, tabletop rpgs i hate the planning stage i hate the shopping episodes i just want to get into the talking to other characters i want to get into the story i want to do quests i want to do puzzles i want to fucking roll some dice i want to do some damage yeah i hate the whole well, let's go and let's go here, and we'll investigate the room, and then we'll, we'll investigate the brickwork in the room. Right. <laughs> uh, there's a player uh, in my Pathfinder group. There's a there's a player character. Uh, I'm not going to give his name because well, you're not going to fucking know who he is, and you know, protect the innocent. Because I'm going to can tear him apart here. He is the worst motherfucker for being meticulous when it doesn't need to i'm a in dnd anyway i'm a very very much a buy the ticket take the ride type of guy i'm like fuck it let's go in here it's like you don't want to check the room no fuck it let's go <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm probably do i detect nightmare. traps do i detect magic no let's go <laughs> uh, i play magic in a pathfinder they have a class called magus which is a uh, kind of like a witcher you know they've got magic and they've got a uh, good martial capabilities and i have shit like you know detect magic i have a uh, counter spell and shit like that I don't fucking use them unless I'm in combat because I don't want it. Like, it ruins the fun for me if I'm that meticulous because I think, you know, take it on a bit of a serious tangent. I'm a lawyer. For the next however many years of my working life, I'm going to be meticulously pouring through documents, pouring through cases. I don't want to do that in a fucking tabletop RPG. Yeah, you're going to be having... Go you're going to spend your 9 to 5, if we're going to be only cut it down to 9 to 5, having every shitty little argument that can possibly be had under the sun. Exactly. Why am I taking this home with me to have fun with my friends? This is yeah. not how we do things. And this one player character, he's so paranoid and he's so invested and he plays the game in such a meta way that he roll a sense motive check or an insight check in Dungeons & Dragons and uh, the DM will say, far as you can tell, it looks good. And from that sentence alone, he goes, well, I've clearly missed something. I, I'm going to go and investigate everything in the room again and come back. <laughs> and if that happened to me, I'd just be like, cool, looks fine to me. And then I get the whole, dude, what are you doing? We can't go in there now. I'm like, dude, fuck it. I will go mental if we have to stay here and investigate sand for 20 more minutes. <laughs> but how, how many grains are there? What's that mean? Can we divide that by a prime number? What does that mean? <laughs> it's at that point in the game, I, I'm glad that I usually go uh, neutral good. Yeah. because you know i'm a good guy i'm not going to kill you but if you get in my way i will move you from my way and i have spells like hold person and i was just going to go okay i'm going to hold person and i'm going to move you to the right because you're clearly getting in my way i want to figure out this puzzle i don't want to you know spend 20 minutes going around the puzzle with a little wooden hammer trying to find traps no <laughs> give me the key i like the idea of being like uh i like to backhand john if he starts talking shit again <laughs> Oh, I have gotten to this. I've never actually done this yet, but I've gotten to the stage of uh, rolling the initial checks to hit him with a fireball. Because <laughs> it gets to the point, it's like, oh, no, no, before we go in, can can we just do our detection? Can we check 
check for traps, detect magic, detect alignment, <laughs> uh, detect good and evil. It's a fucking door. What about Just the door hinges? <laughs> what about the door hinges? What about this dick? Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a gazebo in the room. You have angered the gazebo. Like, fuck the gazebo. Burn it alive. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that might, that might be why I wasn't as big a fan of this last episode of Critical Role because all the other episodes that hasn't been too heavy on the planning and it's been quite a lot of action and it's just been really, really fucking good. But this one was just a kind of, you know, momentum stopper in the sense that like 48 really good episodes and then 49 was just that and slow it right down. Yeah. I, I feel like sometimes with Matt Mercer, especially you get the, the shopping episode where it's like he, he feels like he has to make every shop keep a different character and you're like, can we yeah. not? Can we? We don't need to hear the alchemist say, oh, welcome to my shop, young people. I've I've I, procured a fine and mighty concoction for you. Just it'll be five thousand gold. And they're like, oh no, how do we get five thousand gold? It's like, just sell everything and buy the fucking potion. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I I will put my hand up and say when I first started DMing, I did come up with different characters to run, you know, different stalls and shit like that. But uh, since starting, I've hoping to start a new campaign at some point. I've literally just automated everything. So when you go into a shop, it's run by automatons. <laughs> just because I don't want to do that whole, oh, you go in here, and here you find old Fitzbang, the Forge Master, and he's got six teeth and no hands, yet somehow he <laughs> makes all the best weapons. How you doing in my shop, kids? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh... <laughs> he uses the hammer with his foot. Yeah, that, that's it's the kind of the temptation, and also we've talked a lot about the, the Matt Mercer effect, where everything's a character, everything's a scene, everything's a, a whole shebang, yeah. whereas it's like, no, you're not an actor who's using this as a side bit to get extra work and recognition. This is, you know, you're, you're a D&D player, you know, you're, yeah. you're a scientist in your spare time, you're, you're, you know, the IT guy, you're a lawyer in your spare time, this is not yeah. acting class, get on with it. Yeah, and I always find it funny how deep the Matt Mercer effect goes, because I've spoken to some people that I used to go to uni with that play D&D, because Lawyers and Dungeons and Dragons, there's a hell of a lot of crossover. But 75% of the lawyers that I know play Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPGs at some point. And uh, well, I think it was in my fourth year of uni, uh, one of my mates came in and he just looked, he was he kept checking his phone, answering some messages and just shrugging like, dude, taking this too far. And uh, I just asked him, what's up? And he went, oh, I was at D&D last night. I was like, oh, how'd it go? And he went, yeah, we did this, did that. But folks just kept crying. What? Huh? Went, ah, there, was, there was this like really kind of emotional scene and, you know, they were getting, you know, all thespian and shit. I just kind of said, so what did you do? And I, mean, I just sat there quietly and I was like, okay, now that that's done, I want to go here. <laughs> yeah, that that must have been pretty awkward. As, as I've always said, if you're a fan of Critical Role, don't inject that into your home games. Like, don't just start going, well, it's my turn and I want to lament about my dead hamster. Frederick was a good boy, although he liked the anus too much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's supposed to be fun and I guess that maybe for some people that's their idea of fun. But, yeah, other people have shit to do. I I just don't like it. I yeah, I I I just don't like it in the sense that I don't want to get that heavy in a fun game of it. You know, fighting dragons and casting spells. But if you want to go all you know thespian and start saying I I use this for the you, know, this is for my dead familiar gopher Terence who saved me from the dark demon Beelzebub. Like, okay, buddy, I'm just going to be over here making dick jokes and throwing fireballs. <laughs> buddy, you're opening a door. Calm it down. Yeah. yeah. The door's not going to kill you. Stop casting sense on the door. <laughs> Although, just because you mentioned The Witcher, um, I'm listening to the audiobooks for 
Andrzej Sarkovsky's uh, next series called the Hussite Trilogy. Mm. It's interesting. Um, it's it's good. I, I like it, but I hate the main character because he's too much of an idiot. Oh, it, right. it's a weird problem where he's basically led around by his dick the entire time, which is you know all right as a character trait, not the worst thing I've ever seen. But he is just constantly being helped out by fate, which is a, a yeah. problem where like the character himself has nothing to do. He is just there to be pulled along by the currents of fate. I mean, even he noticed that he'd been abducted or had changed hands with, like, captors or been rescued about five times in the last two weeks. I got, yeah, you kind of suck as a character. You're not, you don't have your own agency. You're being stuck with, um, like, just anyone who happens to bump into you just so happens to be either trying to kill you or your best friend or some combination of the two. But it's had a few interesting moments. I'm now in the second book, and I was really hoping he'd... He did seem to kind of mature a little bit. The first book, he literally is just like that 18-year-old who thinks he can do no wrong and just stumbles through the world cock first. Um, yeah. I mean, it starts with him being caught in bed with someone else's wife. Uh-oh, here we go. <clears throat> and it has gone downhill since there. So yeah. he has... Um, he's been involved with witches and uh, nightly tournaments and stuff like that. It's a combination of, like, uh, 1400s Europe and the magical world, which is an interesting combo um, because for most of the, the books, magic isn't real. Um, you know, obviously, it's during the Dark Ages where the Inquisition's roaming around the countryside, picking up anyone who isn't a good Catholic in the middle of a Catholic uh, and Hussite schism. So there's like a, a Christian uh, like religious war going on within the areas of the book. And it's a key part of the, the, book it's, the books itself. And then you have um, a guy who just so happens to also kind of know magic. He, uh, I think he at one point joins like a witch's coven and joins like their big uh, solstice party and stuff like that. He hangs out with alchemists and stuff. And those parts are fun. But at the same time, you're like, you're dancing with the devil here, mate. You're in a bit of serious shit. And you're too stupid to get yourself out of it or even recognize you're in trouble to begin with. But yeah. uh, I've been told that he does eventually by book three grow like half a brain cell so i've got my my you know fingers crossed but it's, it's written by the guy who did the witcher just because you mentioned that you've got a witcher style character and i'm like i can't figure out where this guy would be in a game of dungeons and dragons because he's not quite the bard he's not quite i suppose actually yeah the magic he has is kind of it, he knows minor magic for healing mm. um which he studied at prague apparently you can just go learn that shit in prague um but he has there are magic people about yeah <laughs> He um he he has the ability to do like minor healing, minor incantations and stuff, but never actually got all the way into mastering it. So he can like I think he at one point removes like a kidney stone from somebody's bladder, but that's about the most he could do. <laughs> what a shit tier mage. But yeah, I, I think you'd enjoy the Hussite trilogy. I, I wonder what it's like uh reading it as if you have more of a Catholic upbringing, because we we're raised Protestant, so there's yeah. a lot of stuff about old school Catholicism. Which I'm like, I wonder how that sounds to people who have more of an education there. Because all the European stuff's fascinating. Like all the different counts and all the different uh, duchies and uh, all these viscounts and all the like larger political stuff I'm vaguely aware of. But there's a lot of like niche stuff in there that I'm, I'm assuming somebody with a more educated background in Catholicism could like really get into. Yeah. And uh, this was recommended to me by somebody who's like somehow more of an atheist than I am. So, you know. We don't really have a lot of notes to compare. Yeah. 
just mean you're saying about like the the kind of the eighteen year old character who's just kind of going with it. Brings me on to one thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but there's yet another Fire Emblem game that's dropped because Nintendo just wants that money apparently. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of going through a bit of the same thing with that and the, the storyline and the characters. I do not give a shit about. Uh, the gameplay, unfortunately, is probably some of the best Fire Emblem gameplay that I've seen in a while. There's different aspects to the the game, different sort of fusion mechanics and stuff that I'm really digging. But the characters fucking white bread boring that I do not give a shit about them. How bad are we talking here? Are we talking like the, the whiny insert, self-insert protagonist? The No, 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 no. We're talking the overly optimistic, excessively cheery, nothing ever gets them down anime protagonist. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> Literally, at one point, uh, after a huge defeat, he'd be a bit downhearted. He just kind of goes... <sighs> The only thing we can do is brush ourselves off and get them next time. I don't think we should be so hard on ourselves. It's like, dude, your mother just died. <laughs> Bro, that was your mum who died in there. <laughs> it's okay to be upset about this, Jimmy. You want to talk about it a little bit? <laughs> and he has no emotion. I mean, I'm hoping that there's some kind of breaking point where he just kind of goes, you know what? All this shit's coming back to me. I'm just going to go buck wild on anything that comes in front of me. I'm going to hack it to death because right now I am just... Uh, Boring anime protagonist. That would be awesome. I, I I like that on the Discord, I didn't catch this initially, but you've sent me a meme of Christian Chainsaw Man. <laughs> I was just saying that on Twitter and I thought, Christ for arms, holy shit, what is this noise? <laughs> it's a man running away. It's a Christian, v, a Christian tape of, I don't know if you've ever seen much Christian media, like the American Christian media stuff. It's fucking fascinating. Um, it's, it's people trying to argue that you're, you know, people are being indoctrinated by Satan, and the only way to counter that is with good Christian programming and education, which is also indoctrination, just the other way. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's pro Christ except for Antichrist. Um, but the- I like that they make a point of saying that on the on the front of the video they threw beans on him. <laughs> why would why would throwing beans on him do anything? <laughs> hey, it's a movie about an important lesson. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's its own. They threw beans on him as its own little window. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. You know, this movie contains bean throwing scenes. <laughs> <laughs> be be wary. Trigger warning: beans. But it's it's put as uh, Christian Chainsaw Man, and yeah. I find it interesting that you're annoyed by this protagonist bec- because they're so nice and lighthearted. When people have started to notice, even in like shonen shows, like the the shows for young boys, are supposed to be lighthearted and optimistic. They're supposed to be about something good in the world because that's what we grew up with like goku could be anything if he just trained hard enough yeah naruto could do the same thing uh luffy from one piece could do the same thing he just he just had to try harder and he would overcome the obstacle they've noticed now in newer shows that are coming out that that's just not a thing anymore uh denji from chainsaw man is just dead to the world because his life is so shit he's so out of luck and so like screwed in the long run He's given up on life. The idea that that is a maybe not maybe not a, a typical children protagonist, but the idea that that's a protagonist today in anime is like, huh? We should like that's something of note in a genuine sense of like that's a shift in the culture in Japanese media, and yet we have it still in this video game where, hey guys, we just have to try our best. No, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At one point, a uh, characters father 
basically gets fed to the big bad and then his body gets you know resurrected through dark magic and then his son has to kill him and instead of offering some kind of reassurance he says we need to press on we have a task to do dude that <laughs> <laughs> you just killed your own father um you, you're all right with that like i know we have things to do but we can take five <laughs> yeah no they don't even say that he just kind of goes okay we should we should head on you know what deal with that you know when it, okay no we're going on to the next fight thank I, christ the gameplay is good because this story is chugging concrete I, I now really want there to be like a psychotic break moment i want him to beat someone to death with a slab of concrete <laughs> like he, he just starts punching a guy and doesn't stop until he can like punch through the guy's face <laughs> the character's called the divine dragon i want him to turn into a dragon and just start burning the fucking countryside yeah <laughs> It's uh yeah that does not sound like there's there's a mix of like just bad writing and then like un- unhealthy ideas that is somehow all of them put together in one and I don't know yeah. why your character would act that way. It's it's weird because Fire Emblem games have often been all about sort of character interactions and how the characters you know deal with it. And one of the first Fire Emblem games that I completed, uh, Fire Emblem Awakening. You are literally so it's basically like kind of isekai type shit. You're dropping it a random world, and you kind of try to figure out who you are. And you know, there's a bit of there's a bit of doubt, and there's a bit more well-rounded characters, I'll say. Uh, and then the next game after that, uh, which was Fire Emblem Fates, you're literally one character torn between your birth nation and the nation that adopted you slash stole you away in the middle of the night. Mm. And you know. Again, there's really good character moments in there. There's well-written characters because you're forced to choose between you know nature and nurture. And then uh, Three Houses came along and it's just right. You're a teacher who used to be a mercenary, and it's all about you kind of reconnecting with people, learn how to learning how to use your abilities for their benefit, type of thing, and how to settle a dispute between and three different groups of people that you have all uh, taught in some way. And then you come to this one, it's just, my mum died, so I'm going to go and collect some items and bring her back. Okay. Someone clearly focused more on visuals and gameplay as opposed to story, because this story sucks. That, that's not even like the B-team story, that's like the D-team wrote that one. <laughs> he he that He's is... sad, but he's not really sad because his mum's died, and so he's going to save her. Yeah, save her, yeah. that'll be the good idea. Oh God! What are you doing? <laughs> Why did you write it that way? And is there anything like is there anything? Because sometimes like you have a bland protagonist, but you've got like a good world building uh, scenario, or you've got good side characters, or something like that. There's something to redeem it. Is there anything there that you're like, okay, well this sucks, but that's good. Character wise, no. Uh, all the other characters kind of range, like the emotional range of the character goes from. You know, bland anime protagonist in your in the player character, and then you've got the kind of more emo type characters that like, oh, I don't deserve to be here. I tried to kill you all at one point, but you know, if they say I'm good, I have to be good. And then there's other characters that are relentlessly optimistic, and then there's other characters that are just flippant. Uh, and as for the locations, uh, they aren't spectacular. It's the whole point of Fire Emblem Engage is that you're literally using rings that contain the spirits of other Fire Emblem protagonists because nostalgia. Uh, yeah. So there's nothing really exceptionally original about it, except 
how the game plays. Like everything's good about it. But the only thing that's really good about it is how the game plays. It's like Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Game plays amazing, but the characters look like crap. Uh, the storyline's a pile of shit. But I keep going back to it because it's a good playing game. And in the case of Fire Emblem Engage, I just kind of want to finish it so I can move on to like a Dragon Ishii. <laughs> I'm looking at the, uh, the, 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 the web page for Fire, Fire Emblem Engage. And yeah, I can I can figure out which character's which based on looking at the poster. <laughs> yeah. So the main character's the VTuber looking one with the blue and red hair. I actually the funny you mentioned VTuber, I'm almost certain this is the game where the protagonist was designed by someone who designed VTuber models. I think I, I wanna say it's Hakos Bales as designer, but I can't say for certain. But yeah, I've seen people make jokes about the designs looking like VTubers. Although the chick's pretty hot, so it's got that going yeah. for it. Oh yeah, most of the female cast in that game are stacked, but you know, it doesn't. If you're in it for more than just that, it doesn't distract for long, much. Yep, it is. Uh, yep, it's the exact same designer as Hackers Bales, and you can tell that by the hairstyle. <laughs> mm. For some reason, it's always the hair that's a dead giveaway. But yeah, I. It's a shame because that, in terms of gameplay, looks pretty decent. Although it's funny that like it says, "Behold the new- the heroes of legend," and it's um, <laughs> it shows you your character next to Marth. And I'm like, oh yeah, Marth. <laughs> yeah. I remember him. <laughs> yeah, and it's oh you see yeah, it's exactly that. It's every protagonist so far is in a ring that your character can use to save yeah. the planet. Yeah, or bring mum back because what else you do? You can either resurrect, you can either you know stop war in the nation, you know bring world peace, or you can bring mummy back. <laughs> I wonder which one they're gonna choose. I mean, if it's my choice, <laughs> I'm 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 stopping the war because one thing I've noticed about games recently, and I'm I'll bring up a fairly obvious example, is that whenever presented with a choice, I can always dictate which choice they want me to make, and I will always automatically make the other choice. <laughs> For example, Resident Evil Seven. Uh, you get this, the whole point of Resident Evil Seven is you get a random email from your your missing wife and Ethan Winters being the good guy that he is goes out to try and find her. Typical Resident Evil shit happens. You get trapped in a mansion. At the end of the game, spoilers, you get the choice between uh, using the vaccine for the virus that they have, a uh, virus that the characters have. You can either use it on the the woman who's basically been saving your ass and been guiding you throughout the the Baker Mansion selflessly. You know, being a just a real mensch, or you have your uh, your wife who, through the course of the game, stabs you in the hand with a screwdriver, attacks you with a chainsaw, and cuts off your left hand. <laughs> because it's your wife, the game kind of says, "Yeah, go and save your wife." I did not do that. I got the bad ending no, because fuck I, her. She, she she's cut going off my into hand. the naughty corner. <laughs> I uh, I had a similar experience. I didn't realize I was uh, in Far Cry Five. You start the game arresting the cult leader. You can choose to not do that. And it, it turns it from like a 40 hour experience to a five minute experience. But that's a canon ending that you walk up, hear all this stuff, and go, you know what? Not worth it today. Just going to walk away. <laughs> yeah. Roll credits. <laughs> and that'll do. I'm like, yeah, fine. That, that works for me, I guess. I'm happy enough with that. It's, it's interesting because it's, it's a hidden like third ending. There's options about how you end the game, but um, that one was like, Oh, there's a secret third thing where you just give up and walk away. I'm like, 
I want that ending. I want to just see it happen. And it's oddly enough, that's considered the good ending because the other endings end in nuclear war. So yeah, yeah, technically the good ending, I guess. So I, I guarantee if Fire Emblem gives me the option to resurrect your mother or stop the war, I'm stopping the war. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. He, he didn't give a shit when the mom died. didn't give a shit when the dad died. Did we really want to resurrect them? Is that... Yeah. Do you reckon that might be it? That might be the whole thing of like, I, I wonder if anyone will call us, call them out on it and say, hey, you didn't react to you stabbing your own father in the chest. Um anything like what is the deal with that is do you reckon it's because he thinks well i can resurrect them i can just save them i just get a legendary hero ring and put a soul back in their body yeah mummy will come back maybe that'll be i I wonder if they'll address it i don't think so but it'd be interesting if it came up as a scene of like you stabbed someone in the chest that you loved yeah i guarantee you uh they're they're not gonna not gonna consider the game is gonna end in typical fire emblem fashion you beat the bad guy and everything's good. Speaking of games that won't end in nuclear warfare. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a hard tangent. But <laughs> but uh, I, I started playing Slime Rancher 2. And I said, I really enjoyed the first game. And he said, there was a first game. <laughs> yeah. Slime Rancher sounds like one of those games that came out in the PlayStation 1 that, you know, everyone ranted and raved about and I didn't really play. But you're saying it's on Game Pass. The first one I played it on Game Pass. The second one just came out at the end of 2022, and I was like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. get that when I've got spare time uh, and I have a week off work. So I was like, I want to just hang out and be comfy. So yeah. I've started playing this uh, the sequel. It's been pretty good. It's more of the same. I mean, granted, I'm only three hours in, so I'm figuring out the, the economy and figuring out how to be as efficient as possible because it's it's a game where if I make a mistake now... Or if I make weird decisions now, it will come back to bite me in the ass 10 hours later when I'm finishing the game. The idea is that you're literally just a a farmer who harvests slimes and you feed them. You take the, I want to say it's like a waste product. So basically you you take their shit and you can sell it on the market because it was like crystals. So you can gather different types of slime from all across the map, bring them together, crossbreed them, and then you make different... uh, sounds a little bit like for some reason logan paul's nft thing he was trying to do crypto zoo <laughs> I'm like this right. doesn't sound fun but it's a very relaxing chill game it's technically a first person shooter and there are enemies and you've got health bar but there's so little threat you could just you can avoid threat at any time the game settings actually allow you to include or not include hostile enemies because it's just that type of game you're just hanging mm. out collecting slimes. It's more about the kind of resource management and the economy side of things. So it's it's not the game I typically expected to enjoy, but I played the first one kind of on a whim and was like, oh, this is really good. And then heard there was a sequel and was like genuinely excited because I, I can't wait to play more Slime Rancher just with different problems to solve. I mean, right now, mm. the map is a lot bigger, but I've got to go and unlock it. And there's more exploration, which is different. That wasn't really part of the first one. And then... I feel like I, I I need to find out if I had yet another base to work in or if I just have this one area. Because if I'm working in this one area that I've started in, I'm in trouble because there's only like eight building plants or eight mm. kind of processing sites. And I need to make food and I need to house and, you know, feed my slimes and get the waste to sell on the market. And uh, if, it, if it's all in those eight slots, I am in trouble because a key to winning the game is diversifying the income that you get. So you have, uh, like, the crystals go up and down in value. 
based mm. on how many you produce. So if I overproduce one type of crystal, it's worthless because I flood the market. And alternatively, to get the economy back on track, I have to find another type of crystal to sell. So if I have multiple types of uh, and or multiple slimes producing multiple different types of crystal, it makes the game a lot easier. But now it's like, if I have to pick and choose, I'm so fucked. <laughs> I'm so in trouble. Because, it, it, you know, I, I looked at the board earlier and having unlocked the second area of the map and therefore like half the total types of crystals, all but one was in the red. Like they were all losing value quickly. And I went, oh shit, I need to uh, fix the problem. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> who, who do I feed? Who do I, who do I uh, you know, scrape the crystal poop up from? You know, it's, it's a weird, <laughs> very strange game, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I'm sure you could probably find like uh like playthroughs of the first one and see if that'd be your type of thing but i yeah. the, the comfy vibes type of game is very appealing to me for so obviously like you know talking about all the, the stuff going on it's like hmm what's your what's your comfort food well mine is slimes i guess but uh yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm playing around with it now i'm figuring out that the tech tree as well because there's a lot of upgrades and expansion options so it's kind of like what's going to make the game easier for me to play because i say i'm here for the comfy vibes if i have to walk all the way across the map on foot backwards and forwards i'm gonna lose the will to live so i'm gonna just try and find the, the easiest way to get from point a to point b just when you said like comfy vibes and stuff it's something i never under i never really got the concept of in a uh, in games because I've, I've never really thought oh, I'm, I'm gonna relax and play some video games now if i want to relax i'll stick the tv on or read a book or something but then this recent kind of influx of over the past five years of comfy games like games like stardew valley and uh harvest moon and shit like that it's a weird concept to me but i mean if people like it people like it i'm not gonna not hear it shouting anybody's good times but the one weird one that i did here was someone played no man's sky because they called it a comfy game which i suppose if you're just in a spaceship flying through space occasionally mm. you land mine some shit and fuck off again yeah i i mean that that's one of those games that determines your playstyle determines the experience you get out of it you could just race for the center of the universe or you could you know go through each planet and build a base and make like installations and hunt the wildlife and you know try to catalog everything or you know there's a variety of different ways to approach that game so i guess you could find a way where you're just kind of i guess a tourist space tourism yeah yeah going for a fly i mean if you want to play a comfy game it's just one of those situations where you're like you know what i don't mind what happens today i'm just gonna enjoy this weird light casual game it's not going to be too um you know input sensitive it's just going to be something to kind of relax and i'm going to just kind of zone out for a bit i normally have like i say an audiobook or a podcast playing in the background from you know i don't have to be giving 110 percent to the game it's not about the inputs yeah. there it's about you know i can take you know i'm still doing something still enjoying something interesting but i'm doing it at like half capacity but you have always enjoyed uh, stuff like, you know, first-person shooters or fighting games or, you know, puzzle games. Something's very kind of input-based, you know? Yeah. Whereas, uh, give, it a, give it a go. Find, you'll find something out there. I've never been one for, um, what were they called? Walking simulators. Yeah, I've played too many horror-themed walking simulators because... Uh, you're probably the same when people find out that you like a certain thing they keep recommending things to you and when uh, some people that i hang around with found out that i really really liked horror uh, horror games horror films uh, all that shit uh, they started recommending me things it's like oh play uh, amnesia like, all right i'll play amnesia played the first one good game 
Second one sucked, and I never went back to it. Then they recommended Outlast. Oh, is this another horror game? Like, yeah. What kind of game is it? And it's just a walking simulator. <laughs> no, but like when you turn a corner, there's a guy there, and he's like, Rah! "Yeah, it's, that's it's totally threatening." I'm like, "No, it's not threatening. It's just if I get caught and dead, I can't fight back. That's the whole point of a horror game. That's why I like Resident Evil so much. Yeah. If you get caught by a zombie, you can fight. It might not work. It might work. There's that element of chance, that element of risk. About it. You know, it's all about item management. I've got three bullets, but there's five zombies. Am I going to just?" try and shoot them or am I going to wound them and run past them whereas walking simulator you can run away at which point because all the monsters have superhuman hearing they can just catch up to you in an instant and rip you apart and I can't fight back which yeah. is not fun yeah I, I remember Outlast being out as the, the biggest the, the newest horror masterpiece and you're like is this really horror or is it just like surprise here's a fist in the face yeah it's the exact same reason why I don't like Five Nights at Freddy's. This isn't good horror, it's a jump scare. Yeah. I, I'm sure we must have talked about this, but the, the use of jump scares in horror, in terms of movies, is so ubiquitous, it's just such a non-start, because now, you know, as experienced horror fans, we know when it's coming, we know the setup, we know the why yeah. the, all of a sudden it goes silent for 30 seconds before the jump scare, and all of a sudden we get the kind of shrill violin of just kind of hurrying, like it just kind of, as the thing appears on screen, to start screaming and roaring. Yeah, and the same thing I applies to video said, games. Like you can see it coming a mile off. Yeah, I think as we were talking, we I think we spoke about this when we started talking about horror films on Netflix. If you get an award for the most jump scares in a single film, and you call yourself a horror film, that's you're not a horror film. Yeah, you, you're jump scares are not good horror. Just yeah. like dick, just like a random noises is not good comedy. Yeah, like if. Think about it in terms of comedy. If your only joke is you kick a guy in the nuts and you brag about having the most guys kicked in the nuts in the single movie, you've not made a good comedy movie. You made a funny YouTube compilation. You've not yep. made a good like horror you've not made a good comedy film. There's more aspects to comedy than kicking a guy in the nuts. There's more aspects to horror than jump scares. Yeah, if if your whole comedy act is you ragging on the current president, you you're a bit writer for the fucking Daily Show, if anything. You're you're not a good comedian. Don't knock the Daily Show. You're... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're you're trying to get a job on the Daily Show. You're not trying to base your whole comedy persona on one joke. I'll permit Stephen Colbert, but <laughs> but not the Daily Show. Although, to be fair, yeah. old school Colbert. That man was throwing absolute haymakers. <laughs> it was glorious. Yeah. Again, I'm 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 a fairly big fan of Stephen Colbert. He is. Uh, he is a. Is he a comedian? I'd say he's a comedian. But, yeah, uh, I'd put him in there. I mean, his stuff on the Daily Show and the Colbert Report is fantastic. It's when he's moved to this kind of night, uh, the nighttime show host, that's when it's all just kind of gone really weak sauce type stuff. Yeah. Where he's obviously been told, you can't really swing those punches anymore. You'll get us in serious trouble. But yeah, I'd still say he's technically a comedian. Yeah. I've just got I've just got a bit of respect for him because he's another one of those that like I will flag my fly my nerf flag uh, proud because it's what got me my start. I'm not going to hide it from anyone. Yeah, is that uh, I can't remember who it was, but his it's like his token knowledge is yeah. on another level. And I'm like he had some interview and somebody tried to pull some bullshit on him, and he said, "Well, actually, 
<laughs> proceeded yeah. to level the fucking guy. <laughs> oh no, you've really fucked up here, haven't you? Uh, it's in a few interviews with Stephen Corbell when he someone comes in and tries to say, actually, no, I know this about Lord of the Rings. He's like, well, I read it every year, so uh, let's go. <laughs> I, I read the Silmarillion every year. Why? Why do you do that to yourself, Stephen? <laughs> Why would you torture yourself like that? <laughs> go outside. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I actually, speaking of books, I'm uh, giving some away. I'm, some of them are going to you, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm getting rid of my, my 40k collection of most of my stuff. Uh, a friend from work has gathered most of them after a certain point, so she's already called dibs on the last like six or seven books but mm. there's still a ton of audiobooks there as well um yeah i say i my audiobooks for some reason i preferred uh, medium just because it probably because i can do more than one thing um well uh, or while i'm listening to the audiobook i can do something else but um i was looking at the audio like the book collections i have and i was like oh, some of this is still pretty good i kind of want to i don't want to go back into 40k um yeah as much as i used to be because i was in too deep like way too deep yeah. But um, having the collection out and going through it all again, you're like, oh, they're still just kicking in a wee bit there. Um, although it did lead to the, the fascinating discovery of Ultramarine, the 40k movie. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that again. I'm, I've found the, I've got the collector's edition of the DVD. Because <laughs> Blu-ray wasn't a thing, or wasn't really that much of a thing when it came out. Um. But yeah, I've got that book sitting. I've got the, the steel steel case and the extra art book that came with it and the, the outside cover that's just completely dead at this point. But hmm. uh, finding all the old 40k stuff again has been fascinating. I mean, I was playing uh, 40k uh, Dark Tide, the zombie game yeah. that they made for it. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that game crashed my PC. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing it with Ross. I'd explained, yeah, uh, I'm sure we can get Dom on for this. But I don't think he can play the game. I think his PC died trying to play this game. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't I think he died. Hate to play it as well. It's uh... it, it dropped on a uh, Game Pass, and that day I downloaded it and tried to play it in the PC. I had to put it to low, and even at that, it was, it was not going well. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out like what it might be, and it's like because your system's only six years old, it shouldn't struggle with it that much. My yeah. PC isn't much younger than that, and it's using slightly older stuff, so it must there must be something wrong, but. I think it is the fact you're you're dealing with hordes. Like it's just it's trying to give you fifty to sixty to even upwards to like a hundred characters on screen coming at you, charging at you, flailing weapons. <laughs> In it's obviously it's dynamic lighting's built into it. So mm -hmm. I imagine if you've got the ray tracing on, it's a totally different ball game from what I'm seeing. But if you're trying to calculate all that on a, a slightly older PC, it will just go, nah, not having it. Nah, <laughs> tapping it, dude. <laughs> But uh, I was playing that, and weirdly enough, we get into the topic of the 40k lore and universe on stream, and all of a sudden I just become this like fountain of knowledge, and I'm just like, oh yeah, this character says this, and this happens, and then this. Uh, we're talking about the Horus Heresy, and I, out of nowhere, recall the name Mahavastu Kalamakis for one of the Remember Romancers, who's like a side character in one book, and then he just is gone after yeah. that. But I remember that name out of nowhere. And it's like, how deep is the 40k stuff just embedded in my soul at this point? <laughs> then again, 40k was from what high school onwards, maybe even in primary school, but was just embedded in our everyday. Because I remember during IT in a 
second or third year just looking at the Ford Ford model, models that we could never fucking afford at the time and just going, oh, dude, how cool would it be to own a Titan? How cool would it be to own one of those big fucking giant Reaver things? One of the most, maybe not heartbreaking moments, but one of the most like soul-destroying moments I ever had was I was at Warhammer World, which is the, the kind of home of Warhammer in the world because it's, you know, it's a UK company that makes it. Mm-hmm. And we're there after Games Day and I've been at Games Day seen all the tables and stuff and said oh we just had other stuff that we'd, we'd built and we didn't really think it was worth taking to games day so we put it in warhammer world and people are playing games on these tables and there's like titans crashed into the ground and yeah. you're like that is a 500 quid model yeah. used as a fucking bit <laughs> for a bit of terrain on a board that not everyone nobody knows is here like if you told me what you could play in a on a table with down titans i'd be like awesome let's go and yeah. come play a game deliberately to play on that board and like yeah it's just a fucking throwaway piece and you're like why and i'm like i, I went seriously why is there a titan on that board that's so much money because now nah, it was a miscast one of the arms was a bit wobbly so we just threw it in his terrain uh... <laughs> <laughs> Take that's a 600 pound model when you're using it as random pieces literally if you don't know what we're talking about here it's literally like take 600 pounds use it to, as a paperweight that's all we're talking about here <laughs> take a stack of coins equivalent to 600 pounds in value and use it to hold down a stack of paper that's yeah. all that that was happening there and you're like well, how are you just fucking around with this much money <laughs> yeah ridiculous but yeah I, I, I 100% get what you mean about reading all the lore because I think everyone who gets maybe a bit of free time and just starts looking at things online. I was just scrolling through some 40k lore, trying to read up on any changes to the to the Chaos Marines. And I was like, kind of want to get back into this. But no, if I get back into it, I'm just using my old army. I'm not rebuilding it. <laughs> I'm not buying new ship. Far too fucking expensive. And I'm definitely not going back to... Because I remember I used to go up every Sunday and play games at uh, GW. And I'm like, nah, I can't do that shit again. Yeah. It t- it's just too much time. And it's, too much money. It's a guess as well that somebody's going to be there with an army that will play a game with you. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't have that community, it's it's easier to tap into communities now than it was when we were growing up because you have the internet, you have communities, you've got forums, you've got subreddits, Twitter hashtags and stuff. You could find a gaming community near you. I mean, when the last yeah. couple of years that I was in the hobby, that was what I did. It was like, just going to Google and be like, Sterling Gaming Club, and you find that there's, you know, there's a gaming club in Sterling Remember that place we went to that one time? I think we were there once with like Lee and uh, oh, stuff yeah, like that. Oh yeah, in... Common Ground Games. Yeah, that place. There was like a, a cl- there was like two or three clubs all existing at that. There's like uh, there's always some like historical uh, gaming community somewhere. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, we rented at the church hall for the night. We can't be too blasphemous, but we can still shoot French people. And you're like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I was gonna play Warhammer with. The, the nerds over there we all smell bad so <laughs> yeah y'all have fun with that uh je suis napoleon <laughs> je suis le, le orc <laughs> that was that was the extent of like i, I tried going into those communities that they're interesting it's always worth it to go at least once to just kind of see what's going on but you never go back <laughs> every time you go you're like i really want to take part in a community event centered around tabletop gaming and you go once you're like no, I'm not that desperate. I'm not. <laughs> I'm good, bro. I have other things to do. Yeah, it's something that I I make a point not to do. Uh, I I like you 
wanted to start playing D D, so I got I started looking looking into online groups and I found a group that played using a uh, thing called Roll Twenty. So I, I jumped on for a couple of games and I was like, Okay, uh, I don't know any of you guys and you guys are being dicks for no reason, so uh, I'ma just jump out because I don't need this. <laughs> I'll just wait. I think at that point I think it was about five years out from playing Pathfinder, so I was like, Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna wait on that. It's weird how when you're a geek, one of the best things you get to do is geek out with other people. You get to share your little passion with people that understand and appreciate it. And yet, whenever you walk into those communities, it's shit. <laughs> oh yeah, keeping is a fucking major problem. Because it's just, oh yeah, I've got my friends, this is our safe space. And I remember for a while, because uh, I started playing rugby, I was I was a jock. I was, I was on the outskirts of it, so when I was at, uh, at one of the MCM Comic Cons, I remember uh, just talking to some people about that, and I had a Scottish Rugby hoodie on, or a Scottish Rugby t-shirt on, and they went, yeah, you probably watched it like years after it came out or something. Talking about it. I watched it day one, so yeah, sure, you're probably busy at the rugby or something. <laughs> no, I went to see it at the cinema. <laughs> talking about some Marvel film or something like that. I was like, motherfucker, if you want to get molecular on this, I will talk about the comic that influenced <laughs> I will quote Bible and Scripture, son. Don't start with me on this. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just it is a weird thing that you have this wall between the nerds who want to share their hobby and the people willing to share it with them. And you're like, yeah. If I found one of the best communities for Forty K online, Forty K Radio's community was my like life and soul for years at a time. Mm. I I miss all those guys dearly. But there's never been anything like that. And it was I feel like that was lightning in a bottle that you could hang out with these guys and they were just good people who played a nerdy game with you. And I, I just don't think that's there anymore. And I don't know how you make that or get it back. <laughs> it's not it's one of the things of you know, it was there, it was beautiful while it lasted. But it's gone now. And unless you know the formula to make it again, you're not getting it back. And I think at a certain point if you try and recreate it, it's only gonna be a facsimile of what it used to be. So Oh yeah, I mean, even just like the actual stuff that's happened under the Forty Q Radio brand since you know it was all kind of like changed hands a couple of times. It's not quite what it used to be, um. And then like even then, you have people arguing which version is the better version. Like, was it better with you know Group One, Group Two? Definitely not Group Three. But what about this other group that's the spinoff yeah. of like people from the community who made their own thing? And it's like I, we've lost it. It's not there anymore. We can't get that time back in our lives. So guess you just have to kind of move on and you know moving yeah. on in today's current social media landscape is not the same as it used to be back then where you know you got kicked out of one forum so you just go start your own forum of blackjack and hookers like you get a better community yeah. together now it's like okay you've been kicked off facebook and that subject isn't trending on twitter so that's fucked there so tiktok i guess you just don't start your own community anymore it's just yeah. it's on these like four or five different platforms and if you're not welcome there you're not in vogue. Get fucked, I guess. And that's the good thing about Warhammer. It's kind of clawing it. I say clawing its way to come back. It's rocking its way to come back because, uh, because it's popular. People are showing up out of the woodwork because, you know, Henry Cavill said, oh, I play Warhammer. And everyone's like, we all play Warhammer, Henry. <laughs> we, we all played Warhammer, Henry. Where were you? Didn't see you at the con. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's weird as well that especially in the UK, how many people that you don't see, or you don't expect to have had some contact with it have, oh yeah, I used to play that back in the day. And you're like, 
you okay like interesting but go on I mean, we had um there was i saw somebody had a warhammer mug at work and it's it turns out it was the friend who's taking the books anyway but hmm. i was like immediately i was like running through a list of okay who could this be <laughs> who, who just outed themselves who just fucked up royally <laughs> if i walk in there you know, for the emperor who's gonna have a twitch reaction to shout it back <laughs> who grabs a las gun out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> who just slams on a full guardsman gear and runs at you <laughs> But you can, it's, it's interesting, it's one of those like fun little things about it, again that's what it comes back to is you enjoy geeking out, you want to share these moments, these experiences, these opportunities, it's the love you have for this weird thing and yet the second someone tries to get involved it's very kind of standoffish. Yeah. I, I, I kind of get it, like when you when we were growing up, you know, you could get your ass kicked for having the wrong nerdy thing on you, but that's not the thing anymore, it's not who we yeah. are, it's not, it doesn't help either, like it doesn't help resolve the, the issue of you know trying to grow the community and trying to make it more you know available to people who just want to have fun with their geeky little hobby yeah i think i kind of go the opposite way now i'm more just kind of oh you want to join in feel right come on over my big problem now is just if you get too chummy too quickly like just say for example we were uh doing D D or something right yeah i wrote the piss at you because i've known you since i was five years old you wrote the piss at me because you know you've known me since i was five years old this new guy comes in and starts ripping the piss at him. He's, is he overstepping bounds or is he just getting too familiar too quickly? <laughs> For me, it's always just, you know, wait till you get to know the group a bit better because there's a fine line between banter and being a dick. Yeah, I, I have the, the thing where I will wait and see, like I had an issue earlier where I found I was being, like getting spam messages through Discord through a, a server and I went onto the server and I'm like, I guarantee you that person's not active. Did a little bit digging first to see if that person's actually there. And no, they're not actually there in the community. They're just on that server. It's a bot. So I, I, I digging yeah. around. I find that the, the spam message is well known, has been in use since 2020. Uh, it mm -hmm. starts with, hey, uh, don't be offended, don't be worried or anything, but I may have reported you on Steam for illegal purchases. And I'm like, illegal? I haven't bought anything on Steam in a month. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and it's also like, hey, getting to click the link and all of a sudden you'll be, you know, there'll be some malware involved. And I, I went to like contact mods and I don't know who the mods are. I don't know who's, you know, in charge here. So I'll just go in the general chat and ask, hey, can someone point me in the direction of a grown up, please? <laughs> I mean, adults. <laughs> but that's my my way of looking at most social interactions is to be polite and courteous first. And yeah, once you're in and once you've actually got a bit of rapport going, like lay waste to everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Once you get into that safe, comfortable kind of like, okay, everybody kind of roughly knows where we've all kind of had a feel of where the other people are in the room. Now yeah. let's, you know, unleash the hounds of hell, you know? Yeah. But now that's you just can tear into the guy for, you know, for the fact that he likes chicken over steak, but you know, <laughs> earn the trust. Yeah. I, um, it is just, I guess that's just socialization. And I wonder with the way things have been, obviously, with the COVID lockdowns and just general people are not as involved in communities as they used to be, I mm. wonder what the next few years of the internet looks like. I don't imagine it being pretty, but I, the oh, next no. five I, years will be interesting. I I imagine the internet is going to get more feral. Like, a cat that was brought in for about a week, got used to the good life, then get kicked out. <laughs> it's just going to become more feral or more lawless. And I'm going to point to a certain group of people because it's going to be their fault. I reckon it's the Americans. Cause yeah. The the concept of civilization and the concept of being civil is completely lost in the yank. 
it's amazing how much even just on my own personal experience i've just turned on the yanks in the last 10 years yeah <laughs> uh, i was uh, pretty hopeful uh for a decent amount of time you know maybe america's got some ideas now the more you read up the more you listen the more you look at what they're doing you're like nah you, you ain't got it i don't know <laughs> don't know what it is but you don't have it yeah and the, the civility is a part of it i guess I don't yeah. even know what I want out of a civil conversation, but you don't have it. No. And so, I th- I sorry think... to our one American listener, but... Yeah. If you've managed... Is he American? The, uh, oh, he's Canadian, isn't he? No, but the, there is a listener in Kentucky. I suspect I know oh. who it is. But... <laughs> oh, cool. But there's a listener in Kentucky, and sorry, buddy, <laughs> we're just very apathetic at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the case of you know not all Americans. There's a very vocal majority of Americans that just, you know, do with a a stern talking to from you know uncle britain but it's just more often i mean your 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 general joe public american probably will hold a conversation with but if you know they are good americans you find them i remember the jokes when uh, when trump took office in the first time around and it was something like the queen offering a one-off opportunity for the u.s to return to the bosom of mother britain <laughs> yeah <laughs> britain's, uh, britain's lawyers are pouring through trying to find a find this thing find something soon like we own america right we can stop them from doing this dumb shit <laughs> turns out we never actually gave in on that war so uh yeah you want to come back just find some paperwork send it over we won't really read it <laughs> and we'll kick that trump guy out of office it's fine yeah um but i no i i wonder as well like if that it might be a kind of thing of hey they're a pretty new civilization on the block you know the american existence at least you know for uh, white Americans is only four to five hundred years old hmm. from the initial landings on the continent, and then they're like two less than two hundred fifty years old. Yeah, as a country, so yeah, they're the new kids on the block. Yeah, relatively civilizational high, got the military power. Um, and if you look at you know the history of like ancient Rome, round about now things are looking pretty good. You're getting a bit boisterous, um, but at the same time, you know you've you've earned your place at the top table. But at the same time, like, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> and if you're very lucky, you can navigate that landing. If you're not, uh-oh. But I wonder what it's like as, maybe this is just our older way of thinking, where we have thousands of years of history as opposed to hundreds of years. Yeah. I mean, what do the Chinese think? They've been around for 3,000 years, up to 5,000 years, depending on which you know, interpretation of China you want to use. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's interesting if you have countries that are a bit older and how they view the American thing, but it's always interesting with the different perspectives from that point of view anyway. But yeah, I I wonder how it feels to have that. I mean, if we went back to ancient Europe, and how would it feel as a Gaul or a Celt? Uh, how would it feel to be having the Romans next door and they're making all that yeah. noise and making all that rah rah talk? I mean, honestly. The invasion of Julius Caesar's Romans that changes things very violently, but I wonder what it's like to have you know as a Celt have the Romans over the road, getting a bit noisy and making all their demands and accusations and readying for war all the time. Yeah, those uppity Romans with the Christ worship. Well, they're pagan for the most part. It's not until like late into the empire that it gets Christian. Huh. Yeah, for the most part they're pagan, and it's um, who the hell is it? It's Constantine, I want to say, turns them Christian. And then it's it's not until you get to, like, they're being in East and West 
um, empire that it gets really seriously Christian. Um, unless it's Justinian, his time in the Roman Empire, where it's like, okay, they're involving the Roman Empire in like political decisions of what happens within the church. And then you've got, the, at the same time, you've got the church taking over the Western half of the empire's responsibilities because the Western half of the empire disappears, you know, um, and it's only like Christians left over to kind of organize things. It's like a fascinating point in history, but there's a weird handover period between Christians in, uh, in the West and the, uh, the Roman, uh, like empire. Hmm. But then in, both empires it becomes kind of synonymous because the christians kind of work their way at the top weird history it's fun though yeah so that just shows how little i know about history uh, maybe a failing of uh, my public high school education that history was always i think we, our, our version of history was just do you want to learn about the industrial revolution no i'm going to learn about it anyway <laughs> do you want to learn about the roman like the very basic part of the romans in britain when you're in like primary school and then it's world war Two, then it's can you memorize a bunch of dates World War Two again, and then maybe if we're feeling spicy, something about you know like the Battle of Hastings or the Norman invasions. Yeah. It's it's a horrible way of teaching history, and it's why nobody gives a shit. Like it doesn't matter. And just to use it as a segue, like this is why I'm such a big fanatic for Dan Carlin's hardcore history. It's because mm. here's the interesting part of history. Here's the the fascinating parts. Here's the lessons you can learn from it, which is the important part of history. Is that you take a lesson away from it, because otherwise there's not really much use to figuring out why things happen the way they do, unless you learn the lesson as to how to avoid it happening again, or how to yeah. encourage a situation like that to happen again if you want it to happen to someone else. And yeah, I, just to segue, I, I listened to him interview Rick Rubin, the music producer, for like yeah. two hours fucking fascinating conversation that had nothing to do with uh rick rubin making music i mean if you want to look at somebody who's like a part of history i assumed that was why he was on the show to talk about like various artists he'd worked with over the years because i mean that guy is living history but no he was on to talk about a book that he'd written um called the creative act that he was like i just want to chat with dan about it because it turns out they're just buddies and i'm like that would be awesome to read their texts what does that look like you know if the if Rick Rubin's making a book, I want to see like just his text messages to various people. I think it'd be fascinating. Hmm. It just the, the chat they had was all about like a little bit of history. I, I fucking love that Rick Rubin turns around and says, Hey Dan, what happened to your uh, your show Common Sense, that kind of politics uh, show you do? Where, where'd that disappear to? And Dan's like, I just can't have conversations anymore about current politics. They go nowhere, they mean nothing, they're not actually involved. It's just garbage. We can't actually have conversations anymore. And I'm like, oh, like he's been hinting at that through the episodes of that show for years now. But to have him actually say, I don't have a plan for that show anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because the situation's so fucked. You're like, interesting. It's funny that it also, it's just funny that Rick Rubin's the person to get that out of Dan. And you're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like they're, they're just buddies. They talk about, um, like this very, it's very kind of like, Exactly. The thing where I wrote it is having a chat about history, art, truth, mm. reality, and how all that factors into how they make their products, how they make albums, or how they make podcasts, or how they write ideas, and how they write books and stuff like that. Yeah. And this book, The Creative Act, is about the nature of creativity. And one of the things that Rick sent over to Dan was a a couple of criticisms. One that was like a big, very kind of like praiseworthy kind of oh we love the book it's fascinating it touches on this the human condition and the other one's like this is just woo woo nonsense like there's nothing scientific about it. there's nothing helpful yeah. in here 
it's all very kind of spiritual and mother Gaia or mother creativity or whatever the hell it is. And that's having listened to the audiobook now, because I actually went and bought the audiobook on Audible. Mm. It is very much that, and it's, it's narrated by Rick Rubin himself, which is interesting because yeah. he talked about the fact that he's not used to that. He's the guy behind the mic helping with the technical side. He's not there on the on the mic itself, and uh, he said he struggled with doing the voice acting, but he, his voice is perfect for it because he has this very kind of mellow, calm, zen voice. He's a very zen mm-hmm. presence. You're know, like interesting, uh, and funnily enough, there's one time where that changes. And I find it very funny that it happened in this chapter because he's talking about rules and rules for helping encourage creativity. And it goes from very, when I say Zen, I I do feel like this could be used like a meditation book. Hmm. There's a little, it's a tubular bell that dings every time he talks. So he'll be giving a lesson or imparting an idea and the sound comes across. And it's like, obviously very kind of like, and we're breathing. And we cleanse the soul and we take in the lesson. And it's very mm. kind of odd. And I can see exactly where the woo-woo comment comes in. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be kind of interested in his technical notes and his diary on what happens to actually make albums that he's worked on. But at the same time, like, I'm happy enough with anecdotal ideas or, like, just odd things that he's scrapped together over the years. Because when we're talking about how to be creative, there is a kind of, like you're catching lightning in a bottle, you're talking about the spark that ignites flames, you're talking about something that isn't a quantifiable thing because creativity is pulling something out of almost nothing. Some of the most like impressive creative feats are when somebody pulls, for example, Isaac Newton creates calculus. He thinks of how to calculate and how to do an entire new branch of maths, basically pulls the whole thing out of his ass. How do you do that? That is such a, 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 an insane ability that somebody had. So when you're trying to discuss creativity as a as a way of maybe thinking, maybe not a way of making money, but as a way of bringing creativity in your life, you do have to get a bit kind of mystical and a bit weird and a bit far out there, and you have to talk in broad concepts about weird or in broad uh, brush strokes about weird concepts to get the idea of creativity across, because it's not a tangible thing. But it's it's, it's an interesting book. I I find it. Yeah. Very, I don't think it's for everyone. As like it's very much. I'm I'm listening to this because. I like the conversation that uh, Dan Carlin had with Rick Rubin, and I'm listening to it because yeah. I enjoy hearing about the creative process of other people and creativity and books and art and stuff. And I enjoy that. But it's yeah, if you were to hand it to like say a lawyer or an engineer, there's a shit every time you go, what is the fucking point in this? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it it's an interesting discussion. But it's you know, I mean, how do you? Th- there's no one way to spur creativity, so there's no real definition, I guess, of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting book. Yeah, I'm always vaguely interested in those kind of books. Uh, for me, it was the thing that kind of sparked off that interest was I was reading uh, Corey Taylor's book, Seven Deadly Sins, mm. thinking it was all going to be uh, autobiographical, kind of talking about his life, and it is to an extent, but most of it is just how he basically griped, uh, wrestled with the fact that he was okay living in sin. And was This isn't what I expected. And like you said, talking about that, uh, Rick Rubin book, it was it was just kind of I'm not here for this, it seems a bit existential of it, kind of shit <laughs> not really what I'm interested in and yeah. to an extent I'm not really I'll, I'll listen to maybe a podcast or I'll watch a video about it but I'm not really interested in reading a full book about the concept behind being comfortable in sin yeah 
it is a bit odd to this. But here's the weird thing is I first of all, have you noticed how powerful Corey Taylor is culturally? He's yeah. everywhere as a rock and metal head. Like he's he's so ubiquitous that like no matter what radio or whatever station, whatever type of music you listen to, Corey Taylor's there somehow. Yeah. And he takes up way more he's He's comfortable, he's great to listen to, I love his work as Slipknot. I'm not the biggest fan of Stone Sire, but there's some tracks I like. His solo stuff's interesting, because he just seems to have delved into something and just wants to be like doing weird artistic shit himself. Yeah. He cameos in places that you don't expect to see him, and it's always good to see him there. Um, yeah. But, like, I, f- I mean, he's so culturally powerful, it's kind of like, how is one person dominating all that space around us? Yeah. But I, I think again, like I think his sobriety pointed him in directions, and he just looked at it himself, and now he just can't stop looking at himself in a very critical lens, and is now yeah. just kind of like obsessing and it's making some interesting art for sure. But at the same time, if you have to, if you're not into that, if you're not into that weird kind of mindset that he probably has, yeah, it's just it's going to be a massive turnoff. It's a total change from yeah. young Corey on stage with Slipknot. Running around in a rubber mask, screaming for like a couple of hours on end. Yeah, which is the Corey that we grew up with. So I'm, I'm kind of glad he's matured and can do something else other than that. Because I mean, yeah, that's cool for an 18 year old. If you're still doing that at 40, you know, seek help. Yeah, that shit is not sustainable. Although to be fair, I have heard Slipknot still kick ass on stage, but it's it's different. Yeah. you know, it's not that it's not quite the same. Yeah, I reckon if you're that prolific at a time being that certain person, I don't think that goes away. And I think that that is exemplified by Slipknot. I don't think you can go from being one of the heaviest bands on the planet and uh, have that disappear. I think if you've been doing it for as long as they have, it's it's in there. It's like uh, Mike Tyson training for fights. Yeah. It's a very good example, actually. Just There was that chat, I think, between him and Joe Rogan, and it's like, Mike's still got it. It's there. It's under yeah. the surface. There's a little bit of dust on there, but it's there. Although, I yeah, maybe maybe it's the same thing. Like, um, the guys in Kiss and Metallica and the Rolling Stones, they could all retire easily. They could have even gone oh, years yeah. ago. But like, now nah, this is who we are, this is what we do. And this is how we make a fuck ton of money. Yeah. Which probably doesn't hurt the decision-making process at all. Yeah, I mean, it might might push it along, actually. I mean, you look at a lot of bands nowadays and you're just thinking, there's no chance you're in it for the money, you must just fucking love gigging. Then you look at some support acts that you see in them like you're absolutely in this for the money you you don't want to go back to fucking starbucks or whatever the hell it was you're working before <laughs> yeah some people have a very desperate fire in them <laughs> yeah um, I, I don't mean that as, as a bad thing you just you see some support acts that literally can throw themselves into doing sets and stuff and like you don't want to go back to your nine to five you're you're trying your damnedest out there yeah although there are some times i see people who are maybe it's just because i'm a bit cynical about social media side of things i see some very social media savvy types of bands these days and there's there's one or two i won't name names because it's not like a horrible thing but there's some people who can tell there's a camera on them and we're acting up or are willing to go a little bit further with performances and like moments for fans it's like it, this is brand new. This isn't like you would never see the Rolling Stones or the Beatles do this shit. This is for the Instagram. This is for the the moments. This is for the highlight reel or something like that. Yeah, it's because everyone has a phone in their pocket and just a different generation of bands have grown up with an audience that has a phone in their pocket. Do so they know how to do social media marketing? I guess. 
Yeah. Like they know that if they if they take an audience member's phone at a gig and sing into it alongside the mic, that that immediately is going on at like every social media platform they have. And it's it's fun for that person because they become like, oh my god, you're the person with that video. But then for the band, it's awesome because oh, can you believe that the band took the guy's phone and just made a mini video for them in the middle of the gig? That's awesome to people online, and it makes that band more popular. Yeah, but I want it's one of the things of like that didn't exist ten years ago. This is only yeah, a new thing. Yeah. But actually, speaking of music and new things that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, well, actually, yeah, the actual original version of the song might be about 10 years old at this point. Um, yeah. From an elevator pitch, I have somebody we've talked about in the show before, uh, Jonathan Young. He did a cover version of Tears Don't Fall, uh, built from a Valentine, a throwback oh, yeah. to our childhood, and possibly one of the biggest letdowns in all of uh, music history for me because. That band made some of the hardest shit when we were kids. And then yeah. immediately as they got into like the peak, I'd say maybe the peak for them might be like screaming and fire. Yeah. That opening is jaw dropping. With yeah. <laughs> just that heavy thud of the double bass drum into just the highest tempo intro to like any one of the songs I've ever done. And then the next album is just this weird, not quite emo but not quite techno babble. But this mm. Tears Don't Fall cover took me right back to back in the day with his, <laughs> with, with the proper sized fat jeans on, with the fucking van shoes, and the the metal t-shirts just gone about town doing fuck all with this on yeah. headphones. And uh, yeah, Tears Don't Fall is probably, it, it's, it's a bit kind of cheesy, cringy, very much a song for a 15 to 18 year old. But at the same time, when it comes on, it's a banger. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to turn that away. And yeah, there's a great cover. Uh, Jonathan Young, and he has a cameo on there with somebody whose name I've forgotten. Two seconds. It's Anthony Vincent. Yep, Anthony Vincent. Um, their cover, it's fantastic. And their vocals are... It, it's not quite. It's not exactly the same, but I'm now at the point where if somebody's doing a cover, I don't want the exact same thing done again and again. If it happens, it's technically impressive. But if you bring your own spirit into the song i'm more interested in that yeah so that'll be my link for uh, the elevator pitch after not having a an elevator pitch at the start of the episode i went and found one and it's a uh, just linked it to you there it's a podcast i think it's second week in a row i'm recommending a podcast but fuck it i don't care I'm not original don't claim to be <laughs> um, in my potentially never-ending quest to get more scottish podcasts scottish everything uh, in my life I found this thing with one of my favourite Scottish comedians, uh, Billy Kirkwood. He's the guy with the ET jumper on and the thumbnail picture, as you'll see in the show notes there. And it's basically him and three other comedians, and they will literally watch the worst shit imaginable and then talk about it on a podcast for about an hour, an hour and ten minutes. Uh, I think this was the first episode, Masters of the Universe. Then they watch uh, the, the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> uh, oh, we're going down that road, the, are we? Interesting. And then the latest episode they watched was Cats. Or the latest film that they watched for the latest episode was Cats. Right. And uh, the host, Billy Kirkwood, is one of those guys. He can always find something redeemable about every bad film. More often than not, he still comes down on it. But Cats broke him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, watch 
uh, watch bad movies with great comedians. I think there's only four episodes. Fucking hell, there's something fighting its way up through my esophagus. Uh, uh, don't edit that out. I want people to hear me die. I want to pinpoint the exact moment where I keel over. Uh, yeah, definitely go and watch, uh, watch all four episodes. You'll catch up in no time because it is short and it is very, very funny. And this is right up my alley. I love a good, I love a good bad movie and I love a good dissection of a bad movie as well. Yeah, and they actually are, for being comedians, they, they do get quite in-depth on certain topics, despite the fact that it's only an hour long. But yeah, they, they do, they give it the benefit of the doubt, they're still going to rip the piss out, but they still try and be as fair to the film as possible. That's good. It is very Scottish, but... Yeah, I, it may not be for everyone, but we'll put it out there. And we'll put it out yeah, there. The subtitles don't keep up with it at some point, so... Oh, YouTube auto-generated... Uh... Uh, like subtitles for Scottish accents are horrible. Um, I oh, yeah. I make a few YouTube videos every now and again, and when I put my audio in, I do it through mostly through Adobe, um, because I use Premiere Pro, and they have a built-in AI-generated uh, series of closed captions, and it's not bad. Sometimes it's wrong, like just objectively wrong, but if you put it into YouTube, you get out something that's just horrible. <laughs> I I give it a go every now and again to see what will happen. Um, just to like have a laugh at the subtitles, and what comes out is just not there. <laughs> I did not say the word pineapple. <laughs> I said grenade. <laughs> I don't know where you yeah. got the word pineapple from, but it's fucking grenade. <laughs> Ridiculous. I remember watching uh, something on YouTube, and it was a fairly common use uh, Scottish phrase, and it's the it was the phrase "I'm bored at my gourd," which means I'm bored at my mind. Mm. And uh, I think the YouTube translated it to "I'm holding my cock." <laughs> well, I mean, typically when I'm bored at my cord, I end up holding my cock anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the two are not mutually different, but still. You can find us over on Twitter, holding our cock at Jibberfish, or you can reach out to us on an email at just at jibberfishpodcast at gmail dot com. You'll hear us uh, hear from us soon, hopefully. Um, I've got some stuff coming up. I'll be going to see uh, Beast in Black this Friday. Um, probably before this episode comes out, maybe we'll see. Um, but I uh, also I have the stuff coming out with Commander Roscoe. I'm gonna just plug this because it's the, the this is probably the last episode to record before he finishes publishing all the videos. We played yep. uh, a hentai game and just sat there doing the the voices for it and just laying into the characters and ripping the piss out of it. Um, and it's probably it's one of the most fucked up things I've ever done, but one of the most probably the most fun I've had making one. Um, we are nearing the end game of that. He's there's like sixteen episodes total. Episode ten yeah. came out today, and yeah, um, episode fifteen, we left that defeated, and I mean physically broken. <laughs> I will say that I have watched episode one. I would highly recommend it. It is some unhinged shit, <laughs> and I'm not talking about Colin and Ross's in, uh, their interpretation of it. It is just a weird fucking. You you can't predict where this is going. Um, we, no. we, the uh, the the game has some things to say on the nature of content and games and hentai and perverts. And <laughs> you you're sitting there being like, I just finished this game twice and I'm being criticised for it. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 a fun ride and it drove us to the depths of insanity. And I would highly recommend if you've got the stomach for jokes about unbelievable quantities of jizz you should check out <laughs> that on the commander roscoe youtube channel 
it's been an absolute blast making it and i can't believe it's finally coming out <laughs> um but yeah yes until then i've been calm graham i've been dom anderson and we've been talking jibberfish <laughs> <laughs>